ourselves organised. <clears throat> oh, I've been told that I have to start. So um, <clears throat> we're going to do a tag team here. This is my wife, Denise, and I'm Dave. Um, hopefully there won't be a marriage crisis halfway through it. Um, if there is, we'll go and see Lucy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, as I said before, my name is Dave. Um, we live in South Auckland in a, a little neighbourhood in Manarewa called Ranwick Park, and we're part of a Baptist um, mission order called Urban Neighbours of Hope, which is actually a, an international um, <clears throat> organisation, which Denise will tell you about soon. Uh, we, we've got um, three kids. Uh, they're all adult kids now. Our oldest is 28. Um, he's a builder, and Katarina is a she's a school teacher, and Atafa is a youth worker. And um, <clears throat> in my own background, I've been in, involved for many years now. Um, a lot of my time was spent with Youth for Christ and with Te Orahau, um, and uh, been doing community work now for 35 years. I'm trained as a primary school teacher many moons ago. Kind of glad I'm not there anymore, but so anyone here who's a school teacher, big ups to you guys. Um, <clears throat> and my church background, my mum and dad, dad was an Anglican minister, so when you started singing hymns at the start there, um, it does something to, to me, because uh, Anglicans are famous for their hymns. Morena koutou, he mahi mahana kia koutou e tēnei um, Greetings to you all this morning. Um, thank you for uh, um, welcoming us and allowing us to be here today. Um, hopefully, as we share, we've got some things that um, I hope might um, encourage you. Um, just a little bit about me too. So um, I'm part Māori, so um, being Māori is... I've, I actually have whakapapa or genealogy, which is all over New Zealand, and the more that I try and trace who I am, the more I realise that I come from the north, the south, the east and the west, and in the middle as well. So we're not going to go there today. That's enough of that part of it. But also um, I have whakapapa over to England, to Liverpool to Ireland, to the Upperlands, and to Scotland, to Inverness. And I've had the privilege of being able to, be to go to those places and visit them too, so it's been really special for me. Um, Dave and I have been married for nearly 30 years. We are just saying that on the way over, so that's been a wee while. And, um, yeah, we both have a background in primary school teaching. Um, I still kind of, I still love it, actually, even though I haven't been doing it for a long time. And I was talking to Janet, actually, this morning about her teaching as well. So um, that's been a, a special part of our journey. Um, I've also been involved in Bible in schools. So when we lived in, we've lived in a few places. Um, some of them are Wanganui, Gisborne, Melbourne, and now Auckland. But um, been involved in Bible in schools. I was quite passionate about that ministry for about six years on the East Coast. So I was... Um, visiting up to about two to 300 kids a week. Um, Te Ora Hau, which David mentioned, is a Māori ministry focused on mainly Māori and Pacific Island youth. So we did that voluntary as we were working full-time in our teaching roles. And Youth for Christ, Dave was the director of Youth for Christ in Gisborne for 10 years when we were there. We've fostered teenagers um, over the years and had young people live with us. Recently we had a an elderly 72-year-old who was made homeless with us. He was living with us for the last four weeks. Um, and thankfully, he's got a place to go to now. And currently, I'm studying at Kerry. That's supposed to be my main thing. So I'm doing some postgraduate study and hopefully a master's next year in um, theology and community development. And um, I also work there. So I, I enrolled as a student, and then they said, could you work a bit part-time? So I just do one day a week um, over there as well. And... Um, yeah, and then we've got the work that we do in our community in Ramwick Park, which you're going to hear a bit about too. So that's a bit about me. 
Oh, this is me. Urban Neighbours of Hope. Okay. So we call ourselves You Know for short, so you don't have to rattle the whole name Urban Neighbours of Hope. And it says up here, so this is kind of a part of what we do. We, we immerse ourselves in the life of neighbourhoods facing urban poverty, joining the risen Jesus to seek transformation from the bottom up. We live and serve as small, responsive neighbourhood-based teams within cities in Thailand, New Zealand and Australia. So Urban Neighbours of Hope started in Australia and um, we started it in New Zealand um, about 11 years ago when we moved back to New Zealand and we deliberately choose to move into a neighbourhood that is um, high in poverty. So we just actually pulled out the statistics and looked at where are the most poorest places in New Zealand to live and then we just prayed and asked God, we too God, um, and we were led to Ramwick Park and, um, and invited into that community and that neighbourhood. So that's where we are now. Um, and we do um, work in very small numbers. Actually, Dave and I are only the only UNO members in Ramwick Park. We've got another team in Wainui Amata in Wellington. Um, and we deliberately stay small so that it makes us connect with our neighbours. It makes us, we need them actually to 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 partner with and to work with. And we are about working from the bottom up. So we are very much about grassroots. So getting to know our neighbours, getting to know the neighbourhood that we live in, um, making connections with the local school, the early childcare centres, any of the places where people gather, the local park, um, those sort of things is, is really important to us. And um, and it says here, we've got um, some teams in Klong Toy in the slums of Thailand in Bangkok. Uh, New Zealand, I've already mentioned, we've got a couple of places, and in Australia, we're based mainly in Melbourne. So that's a little bit about you know. And so it's about us <coughs> reorganising our lives so that we can have the time and the energy to put into the neighbourhood. So we deliberately are intentional around that, and so we choose to work less so that we are able to be um, put our best energies instead of into work into the neighbourhood. And we do that, we're partly on faith support and we all work part-time as well. Um, if you're interested in more of our stuff, this is the kind of the little marketing plug. Um, there's some newsletters at the back there and if you want to receive, we do short stories a couple, um, three or four times a year uh, just through a newsletter, through an, an email. So if you want to do that, you can sign up and, and have a look at that. But I think one of the, one of the things we need to understand about New Zealand is there's an interesting thing happening is that the gap between the haves and the have-nots has increased dramatically over the last 10 years. In fact, it's been happening over the last 40 years. But we're really seeing the fruits of that now. And, we, and we're in kind of a crisis kind of stage in, as a nation as to what, what, how we're going to organise ourselves and how we're going to work through what's happening to us. We see it on the news all the time. So one of the key things that I think is really important is to understand what is poverty. Um, what, what, what's happening there? And so this is a definition that I find really helpful. Uh, so poverty is, is a lack of options, both real and perceived, that has occurred from history, from systematic issues, and from personal choices. How we start with our understanding of poverty then also helps us to respond from that way. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to tell you some stories. And these are stories that come from our neighbourhood. It's not, they're like a combination of four or five different family situations that I've combined into one. Um, but as I tell the story, 
I want you to listen and see if you can work out in terms of the poverty issues that this particular family is facing, which one of those come from history, which one come from Semitic issues, and which ones come from personal choices. Okay? All right. So <clears throat> as part of what we do in our neighbourhood, we run, we run some social enterprises, which we'll tell you a little bit a bit later. Um, and one of our social enterprises is one that we actually get to mow all the lawns in, um, in, our, in our neighbourhood, all the parks in our neighbourhood. And so we employ people from our neighbourhood. And one day we had um, a guy um, came up to me and said, uh, I need to resign. Um, he'd only been for us, with us for a short while, and I was really surprised because he, he was blossoming, he's doing really well in his work environment with us. And um, so I asked him why. Well, what's happening for you? And he goes, oh, my mental health is not good. Okay. Well, mental health is a, is a big, wide word. What do, you, what do you mean by mental health? So, well, I'm not sleeping well. Hmm, okay. What, why aren't you sleeping well? You, you seem to be doing fine. So, well, I have to go and pick up my son from night shift because my son works um, quite, quite a long way away from us. And um, he starts at, at 11 and finishes at, at, at about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. And I ha have to go and pick him up at that time in the morning. So by the time we kind of drop him off um, and I get back at 12 and I get to sleep for three or four hours and then I have to go and pick him up. And I'm like, wow, so how many hours are you getting a night? And four to five if I'm lucky. Okay, yeah, four to five hours of sleep. Yeah, we can, <clears throat> that's going to affect your mental health fairly majorly, eventually. So, so why, um, why do you have to go and, and pick up your son? Well, there's no public transport. You see, at 11 o'clock, that's the last time that there's a bus that goes. And so it's, it's pretty tight for him to get there at 11 o'clock. So it's much easier for me to drive my son over there. And then there's nothing. There's no public transport at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning for him to come home. So I have to go and pick him up. Um, and um, catching a taxi is impossible because his wages are low and taxis are not cheap, as we all know. Um, so why don't your son um, get his own car and drive there? Uh, well, he hasn't got a licence. Yeah, okay, this is quite a common issue in our neighbourhood. Why hasn't he got a licence? Well, he's tried. Um, he's attempted his learners three or four times and have failed every time, and it's just starting to get expensive, and he's just starting to doubt himself more and more. It's costly and it's, it's hard. Um, <clears throat> why doesn't he change his job and get a job that's closer? Well, yeah, he could do, but his, um, his uncle gave him the job and he's from the same factory. And um, he, my son feels like really honoured that his uncle got the job for him. Um, and he's kind of needs to show a lot of respect to his uncle, and, and um, our uncle is actually someone that's really high up in the Māori world, and, and he's one of the guys that has represented us on the treaty claims on our land, because our land was taken away from us, and he's negotiating with the Crown um, a good deal for, um, for all of us uh, as part of, our, of the area that we belong to. And, um, you know, he's, um, it, it just wouldn't be right for... Um, my son not to stay at that job, which my uncle worked really hard to make him get. So he feels really obliged that he needs to stay there. And, but also, um, he, 
my son doesn't think he's good enough. Uh, he thinks that he got this job because of uncle. He actually thinks he's quite dumb. He didn't do well at school, didn't get his level ones at school um, in, C- in CEA. Uh, and so he thinks he's dumb. So he, mm, he feels a bit useless. So no one else would give him a job anyway. Well, in his mind, he thinks no one else will give him a job. Mm, okay, well, that's some big issues that you're facing there. You know, what else is going on for you? You know, what, what's happening? I have noticed recently that you've got quite a big cough. Yeah, well, my house is damp um, and starting to really affect, really affect me. Why is your house damp? Well, the house that we rent, there's no insulation. Um, and the roof actually leaks. I noticed from that last storm that we had, uh, a couple of the tiles had shifted and, and water's trickling down and we can actually see the water trickling down. Um, and there's a lot of mould um, and also one of, a couple of our windows, uh, it's, quite, it's, quite rot, it's quite rotten in places and you can actually poke your finger through and um, you can actually see the outside. There's no heat pump. Um, and we've put our own curtains up because the curtains that were there, were, they were just no good. So, oh man, that's terrible. Um, have you not been to the, the property manager? And, um, and, you know, there's a warrant of fitness now that's supposed to be in place for houses. He said, yeah, yeah, we've made complaints and we've got hold of property managers, but um, we've heard nothing back. And it's been a while now and we don't know what else to do. Um, we don't know who the landlord is because the house was just sold recently and a new landlord has got the place and we've never met him. Um, he never even came to look at the house. It was just within a week on the market and sold. Um, and, yeah, the, the property manager hasn't even come to, to look at the house. Real stories. So just turn to your neighbour and just ask the question, what, from that, that story that I just told you, what are the poverty issues that are historical? What are the poverty issues, issues that come from the system that's not working properly? And what are the poverty issues that have come from personal choices that this particular family has made? Talk to your neighbour. Okay, there's a lot in that story, but can someone give me a example of a personal choice that's been made that's creating this family to stay in poverty? Yeah, the back there. Yeah, decided to stay in the job, and then there's a whole lot of issues around that job, around the ripple effects. Yeah, and it's a choice that that person's made basically because it feels... Our family obligated, and because of the self-esteem issues that um, the young person's carrying. Yeah, yeah, true. Okay, what's a historical issue that's going on here that's creating the poverty? 
Yep. Is that historical or is that a um, system? Yeah, yeah. So good example for the um, for the system is a lot of our houses in our neighbourhood. Um, what I described is uh, happens. Those kind of homes. I've been in them. Um, there's so much mould and they're so damp and they're so cold. Um, hopefully that'll change when the government has a stricter um, thing about it. But if, if you live in that environment, then you have a whole lot of health issues. Uh, and not only that. Um, the beauty of your house really affects your esteem. Um, you know, it really does affect the, envir- the environment that you live in, really affects the way that you feel, which then affects the way that you behave and that you act. So a beautiful home um, makes you feel beautiful and feel good, and then you respond in a different way. Good example. Historical. What's, uh, what's the historical one? At the back there? Yeah, I remember when I was 15 and I had to get my driver's licence. Um, <clears throat> some of you remember that because you're just as grey-headed as me. Um, no, I'm ginger, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> it was basically, hey, just a quick test and then drive around the block and then you got your licence. Now it's, 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 it's a big deal. It's very hard to get your licence. So, yeah, so those are some good examples of how history and the system and personal choices are creating the poverty issues that we have in our country. And so if the answer to poverty was simple, um, like let's just give people more money or let's just give them a decent house, then we wouldn't have the poverty issues. But it's not. It's highly complex. And so for us as Urban Neighbours of Hope, because we live and we work and we play in the same neighbourhood where these issues are very real and these issues are are not just a, a story, it's actually a face, a person that we know, um, we have to look at ways of how do we help and work alongside to break uh, the poverty cycle that's happening in our neighbourhood. And so what Lucy's asked us to do is just to come and talk about what does Urban Neighbours, who is Urban Neighbours of Hope and what is it that we do. So one of the first things that we did after we'd been there for a couple of years, we, um, <clears throat> we had to ask the question, um, what is the good news? What is the good news that Jesus brings? Um, and what does it mean to us as local people? So you can see up there that pictures, they're, quite, they're not that clear, but that's our skate park. And the skate park is a, a full-on place. You wouldn't go there at night time. Uh, you'd be careful walking through that park. The graffiti would be up there over the weekend, and then Monaco Beautification would come and uh, clean it up. And then <clears throat> by the next weekend, there's more graffiti. Uh, there were drug dealings happening in there. There was violence. Uh, some gangs owned it different nights. It was a pretty unsafe place to be. So we had, a, a, as part of our discipleship group, we had a, a bunch of young adults that were with us, and we asked them, when you see that picture up there, <clears throat> what does it say about who we are, our skate park that's in the middle of our neighbourhood? And they came up with that list, and we said, if we sum the, summarise that up, what does, it, uh, what does it say about us? Uh, our neighbourhood's a poor neighbourhood. All right. So, let's have a look at Scripture. And so we pulled out from Luke 4. And Jesus here said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So I said, okay, let's just change that a little bit. Uh, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me, this is Jesus speaking, to bring good news to Rangwick Park. 
So don't stone me for changing scriptures. Um, <clears throat> and then I said, well, okay. So the, Jesus has said he's come to bring good news to our neighborhood. What is that good news? And so these young adults in our lounge were sitting around in th- three or four groups, and they started drawing pictures and writing things down. And um, they brainstormed a whole lot of ideas of what they believed the good news was. Now, these young people, some of them were, um, were Christian. They had made a commitment. Some of them were culturally churchgoers because part of their Pacifica culture was to go, to go to church. And some of these young adults would definitely would say, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian. Um, <clears throat> but I love being part of, this, part of this group. And so we brainstormed all these ideas. And then this is what they came up with. Have a read. I just thought this was a a beautiful description of heaven on earth, of God's kingdom being outworked as it is in heaven. Um, <clears throat> the idea that everyone has lives on a beautiful and safe street, that we have good education, that there's decent housing and access to good health, employment and good, strong family units, um, places to belong and to participate in, and food for hungry kids, um, leadership for the neighbourhood, connection with God, um, and the healing of families. And so... Um, what really happened back uh, sort of seven years ago is, is these young adults wrote our job description. Um, <clears throat> so that's our job. That's what we're trying to do in our neighbourhood where we live and play and work. So UNO you know, has um, three values. Um, shalom. And there's a lot of meaning behind the word shalom. Just got, we've just got up here wellness and connectedness. Loving God, love self, and loving neighbour. I'll talk about these in a minute. Justice in relation to systematic um, system, systematic issues that are going on or things that are happening in our community or actually in New Zealand even. Everywhere, everyone shares in his blessings and hope for a better future. Um, Shalom, as you guys know, and I've just Googled it here because it's just probably the easiest thing to do, is a Hebrew word. And often it can mean hello or goodbye, but it means a lot, lot more than that. Um, Shalom, it says here, means peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. Um, So there's a whole big part of that. So what we're about is actually looking at in our community, where can we partner with God in in this outworking of Shalom? Um, and justice, there, there are lots of different things that go on around justice. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that later. And hope. So there we've got the word up, Shalom again. Um, our own well-being is connected to the well-being of our relationship with God, with self and with neighbours. Um, so this is a big thing. We live... We don't drive into a community and do work in a, in a community. We're very much about living um, right in that community alongside people. So um, we've got Nicole coming up. We've got a little video that she's made. She's part of our intentional community. Um, we've got three households um, in Ramwick Park that we connect with and we do rhythms of life with, and she's going to share a little bit about that and explain it a bit more. Yeah. 
hopefully, if we get volume. Hopefully, if it goes. Don't you love that? Technology. Technology might keep, keep talking amongst us. So we've got um, Nicole is married to Francois and they actually live in a house right next door to us and we have um, opened up our fence between um, our homes and so we do um, different rhythms of life um, amongst ourselves and hopefully Dave's going to win and get this thing to work because she's great at presenting. You love computers. What we do in our neighborhood. Firstly, we meet together every weekday morning for prayer. Secondly, we meet together once a week for dinner at one of the three households committed to our intentional community. Every second week, this acts as a leadership training program for our third thing, which is youth clubs. We have two youth clubs clubs running every week, one for 7 to 11 year olds and one for high schoolers. These are run by people within our intentional community and others from our neighbourhood, some of whom grew up going to these programs. They are so much fun and a great example of a structured program that allows us to build relationships and to connect with our neighbourhood. We really try and get to know the parents and the families through these programs. There are other unstructured things that we've committed to doing in our neighborhood as well, such as buying milk from the local dairy and not working 40-hour week so that we have time to connect with our neighbors and get involved in stuff happening. There are other things like street barbecues, street activators, and street play, which are awesome initiatives that we are also connected with. We really love being here, and the why behind it all is we just feel like when Jesus said to love your neighbor, he really meant it. And we believe that Jesus is doing something and teaching us about place and the importance of place and the way he wants us to connect with those who are really around us, like our literal neighbors. If you would like to chat more about this, we would love to talk to you and help empower you to do this sort of stuff in your own neighborhood. There we go. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, we gotta go now. <laughs> I'm drowning. Awesome. So, yeah, like I said, Nicole lives next door to us and with her husband, and they've actually got Grace that lives there as well. Um, they all studied through Kerry, um, but wanted to come and connect with us in the work that we do in, in Granwick Park. Um, and so, with justice, uh, it's just about how how do we how do we cre create some decent wages through our social enterprises and. How do we do hospitality and, and, and how do we plant <clears throat> lots of beautiful trees and, uh, and just create a, a neighbourhood that reflects something of God's creation? And, and, and how do we feed hungry children? And so part of what we do, we're just going to whip through some of the stuff, is uh, <clears throat> we've started a couple of social enterprises. We managed to get a, a, a subcontract with Downers and with City Care and we get to mow all the parks in our neighbourhood. So we've got this big, mean little machine um, <clears throat> and we get to whip round and, and get paid okay money for it. So we can employ six guys from our neighbourhood around that. And then our young people 
um, decided they wanted their own little business and, and we, we started up a bouncy castle business. And so our castles, at the moment, not a lot of them are going out, but over summertime it gets flat out. Um, and so what this does, you know, work uh, creates dignity um, and, it, and it builds self-esteem. And when people can provide for themselves and provide for their family, it's incredible the changes that happen um, within a family with that. Um, <clears throat> and food has been an issue over COVID. Yeah, so one of the things we found is um, during COVID, we actually were flat out. Um, we decided to apply for some funding through COVID emergency funding, and we ended up employing some activators in our street because what happened was that a lot of people were disconnected. Um, not everyone has internet as well and access to that. So we had some amazing activators, and Teddy is the lady in the front who you saw also getting wet before. Um, she's one of our activators, and basically they connected with over 400 homes in our, in our area. Was it 400? But anyway, a lot of people in our in our neighbourhood, and um, what they discovered was that obviously some people had lost their jobs, and there was an issue about a lack of food in their homes. People felt really um, the word is ma, They felt really ashamed that they needed to um, needed a food parcel. Um, so one of the activators had this idea. Um, about maybe doing a pataka kai. So it's like a food cupboard, really. And so in that way, people in our neighbourhood could um, put food in there if they wanted to, and people that needed food from our neighbourhood could, could go and help themselves to it whenever they felt they needed to. And so um, through different connections, another lady had an uncle that was a builder. He voluntarily built the three pataka kai for us. Um, through our activators, they got to know some of the neighbours and some of them wanted to have the food cupboard outside their own home so they could keep an eye on it and check on it every day to make sure that it was looked after. And so that is what happened. We have, um, yeah, we've got three. Um, someone, we don't know who, puts in bread every week into those um, food cupboards for us. And it really, um, for those that have been struggling, it's just a lovely way that they can go and get things that they need without feeling ashamed. It's quite horrible having to, you know, line up for a loaf of bread or whatever it is and, um, and say that you're really in, in great need. So this is one way that, that actually our neighbourhood's supplying the food ourselves and um, when we've got extra stuff, we put stuff in and sometimes we go ourselves and go and have a look and grab something out of it. So it's worked really well in our neighbourhood. Occasionally my mints need some, a tin of tomatoes, so I just whip down there and get myself a tin. <clears throat> so I don't have to be so lazy and get down to the supermarket. Um, hope. Hope is such an important element of who we are. If we can hope for something of our future, then it just changes the way that we see things. And, and hope is about having dreams. And having dreams is about accessing resources to enable those dreams to happen. And, and dreams also means we have to really believe in ourselves that change can be possible, especially when life is a struggle, especially when um, your house is damp or, or when putting on some kai is hard work each day. And so we, what we discovered around hope is that um, as we walk alongside our neighbours, what's really important is that um, those that are suffering from, from injustice um, they get to a place where they decide that they need to be treated with dignity, um, that what is happening around them is no longer acceptable. And that's quite an empowering awareness um, when you suddenly realise that, hey, 
the way I've been treated by the system, the way I've been treated by the neighborhood, the way I've been treated by the schools, whatever, is not, it's not, enough, it's not good enough. I am made in the image of God, and I deserve to be treated um, with dignity. And when that happens, the penny drops. The second thing that's really important is that neighbors become conscious that they have the power walking alongside Jesus to solve the very problems that are holding them down. And so there's this awareness of, one, I need to be treated with dignity, but two, I can do something about it. I can participate in the solution. I don't have to depend on wins. I don't have to depend on the welfare system. I don't have to depend on others to solve these problems. I can do that with my neighbours and with Jesus walking alongside me. And then thirdly, they give themselves permission to become the key actors or the key participants and in partnering with God, which is what I love about God. He partners with us in implementing the solution. So this happens all the time in our neighbourhood, but a classic story around this is that as part of the Residents Association, we'd been advocating for bus shelters in our neighbourhood. And... um, and the public transport in our neighbourhood, you know, when it works during the day, is well used, but we have no bus shelters. And so during this time of year, when the mums come out and when the nannies come out with their little kids, they have to wait in the rain to be able to get to catch a bus. And so we'd been for a long time t- talking with Auckland Transport about how, how we can get some bus shelters. And, um, and it was just taking years. So some of the, the guys that I know were complaining about it. And I said, okay, come on, let's jump in the van. Let's, let's go for a little drive. I want to show you something. So we had four or five of them in the van, and we drove over the hill to Botany. And I said, I want you to count how many bus shelters are in this neighborhood. 500 meters, a bus shelter. 500 meters, a bus shelter. Bus shelter. Bus shelter. And in the back, I heard, what the... I won't repeat the language they used. Um... And I stopped and I said, well, what's going on? I said, how come this neighbourhood gets a whole lot of bus shelters and we don't? Yeah, good question. Let's go back to Manurewa and I'll take you to some suburbs, neighbourhoods in, uh, in Manurewa and the, the kind of more wealthy ones. And we drove around and yes, 500 metres, bus shelter, bus shelter. And just like the penny dropped, it's like, what? This is totally unacceptable. How come nice places get these bus shelters, and we don't. Well, what are we going to do about it? And one of the guys said, let's do something about this. And so we brainstormed, and we thought, and Phil in the middle there is the neighbour that lives behind us, and he had a whole lot of wood, and the guy with the headphones on it lives on Magic Way, and he's a builder, and we came up with this crazy idea that we were going to pull all the resources that we could find in our neighbourhood and, um, and start to build something. And guess what we built? Uh, that's Bruce with a hard head on. He teaches health and safety. So he brought all the high vests over um, and the cones and all that kind of stuff so we could pretend that we were council workers. Um, we decided to paint the bus shelter black because black is the colour that all bus shelters are in our neighbourhood, and we asked permission from the house behind whether we could nail these particular posts up there. And because we had a builder, we wanted to make sure it was built strong and well. And so um, what's uh, resource consent? Um, We just put it together, and it was built by the neighbourhood for the neighbourhood. And that's Nanny Kay. 
um, Nanny Kay does breakfast at the school, um, and she's just this beautiful nanny that that just gives and gives and gives to the neighbourhood, and that's some of her mukuls that are there. And so it was built for the neighbourhood by locals, for locals, participating in this concept and this idea that we can change our neighbourhood. And we got asked by the na- um, by others if we could build some more of these bus shelters, but we decided we just wanted to do the one because it was kind of like our... Am I allowed to say this? Our one-finger salute to the system. Um, and we didn't want to get media there. It was just kind of our own kind of thing. It got graffitied, and then someone painted over the graffiti. We asked the guys if it was them. They, no one knew who had done the painting, so some other local had, had fixed it up for us. Um, it lasted three months before the, um, <clears throat> the bus company pulled it down. Some kind of complaint that happened, I'm not sure. Um, but it was just a beautiful example of, of how we can work and walk alongside our neighbours in a way that can just start to bring change in so many different ways and enhancing mana or um, enabling people to see their dignity um, through Jesus and through participating is such a key part. And <clears throat> just to kind of finish and I normally do a 30-minute talk about this, but Luke 5 is just a beautiful story of a leper that came up to Jesus. And, um, and pull out your Bibles and, and read it, but I'm going to tell the, the version of the story according to Dave Timms, um, <clears throat> the Gospel of the Nations. Uh, so back in the day, if, if you were a, a guy um, living in your village, and you were fully participating, you had a family, beautiful family, and you were involved in work and, and, and in the committees and all that kind of stuff that was happening in the neighbourhood. And then you, suddenly you noticed there was these things happening on your skin, and you're like, oh no, that's the sign that leprosy is coming. And so you would be covering it up and hiding it because you knew as soon as the rest of the village saw that you had that, you were going to be sent out of the village and you knew that your family could no longer be with you. You knew that you could no longer hug your kids. And so this leper had been cast out of his village. And he was no longer allowed to participate in what we would call normal family, normal kind of life. And he came to Jesus and he begged Jesus, can you heal me? And Jesus reached out. And did the unspeakable. He broke all the rules. He touched the leper. And the leper was healed. I'm guessing that this guy had probably not been touched for such a long time. Because if you touch a leper, you catch leprosy. If you sit on the same place where a leper sits, you can catch leprosy. But Jesus reached out and touched him. The one thing I think this guy desperately needed more than being healed, but he needed that too, was to be touched. And Jesus knew that, the need to be touched, the need to connect. And then Jesus did something really strange. And it took me ages to work out why he did this. He said, I don't want you to tell anyone what's happened to you, but go to the priests and get their blessing before you tell anyone else. Because, you know, if it was me, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'll be running around, I want to tell everyone what has happened. But Jesus said, no. Why did he do that? And it finally clicked. If the leper had run around without the blessing from the priests, 
he would have been in a worse state than he was in the first because he would have been healed, but no one else would believe him. And so he would be healed and whole, but everyone would be backing off, saying, no, 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 don't go, get away, go away. So he would have been rejected, healed but rejected. He would have been healed but not connected. He would have been healed and unwanted. So Jesus knew the systems that were in his place and time that this person needed to go through so that he could be blessed and be accepted back into the village again. And that's why he said, go to the priests. Well, in New Zealand, go and get educated or go and whatever it is so that you can be accepted back into the neighbourhood. And sometimes all we need here in New Zealand is that we need people who come from a different place to live in these kind of neighbourhoods and just to say to a neighbour, you're okay. Um, We think you're amazing. And we can see the beautifulness that you bring, the God image that you bring to this neighbourhood. And we create those spaces for those for those skills and those gifts and those resources to be used. And as that happens more and more, people start to connect with Jesus and they start to connect with the gifts that Jesus has given them and they start to use those gifts and then their life starts to change and they start to redream and the hope of what the gospel brings becomes a reality to them. And sometimes it's a real simple thing. I'm just going to end with this little video. You won't be able to read the words because that... They just, but you'll get the picture. Um, Hopefully, it works. My name is Hilary. They call me Lee. Let's get interview some people.